we are continuing uh, in Acts chapter 4. Uh, this morning we will begin in verse 13. The normative practice here at Spring Hill is to uh, systematically uh, work uh, through a Bible uh, book, verse by verse, precept upon precept. So after praying for the Holy Spirit to superintend our study, we will read the text under consideration, then we will divide uh, the text for our understanding and application. So if you would pray with me as we prepare our hearts for this. Holy Spirit, we ask that you illuminate the passage to our minds, that you would inflame our hearts in thankfulness and engage our will to obedient faith. Father in heaven, we come to you in the atoning death of Jesus to plead our cause before you this morning. We pray for the church that gathers here and also those who would gather this morning at Creekside. We ask that you would anoint the teaching ministry of Pastor Steve such that your Holy Spirit would encourage, convict, correct, and comfort all who might gather in the mighty name of Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, as you are able, uh, would you stand for the reading of the infallible, inspired, inerrant Word of God from Acts chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse uh, 13 and go through 22 this morning. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that that they may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. This is God's word. You may be seated. I've entitled this message this morning, Emboldened, Emboldened Conviction. And as we look at the Greek word parahesia, the Greek word for boldness, it is boldness as described in the context of our study is this. It is blunt, confident assurance spoken plainly without ambiguity. Boldness in proclamation of the gospel, you see, is born out of conviction deep in the soul of the person who has apprehended its truth. It is confident assurance that the truth proclaimed by the one who is convinced of it, 
that that person, based on Christ Jesus' atoning death and resurrection, that that person who is proclaiming that truth is pleasing to God. Conviction that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is pleasing to God has emboldened Peter and John to proclaim with blunt, confident assurance, to speak plainly without ambiguity that there is no other name by which a person may be saved than that of Jesus. And that by faith in his name and in his name alone, that reconciles sinners to God and with them, with those who proclaim God is pleased. That is the boldness with which Peter and John speak. They are confident, not only in the content of the gospel, they are confident that they themselves possess the truth of that, by, of that gospel deep within their person and that what they speak, that truth they speak, is pleasing to God. I wonder sometimes if our weakness in evangelism today is the result of our tendency to sort of compartmentalize our faith and our Christian walk. Could it be that we hold the truth of the gospel confidently convinced of its truth in some circles, and then maybe in other circles we hold those convictions kind of lightly? I'm convinced that the gospel is the only way to salvation in a circle where I might not come into conflict for it, but maybe we shrink back when there's the possibility that some might be opposed. Before we jump into dividing the text, I want to pause just a moment to, to pray one more time uh, for us as we uh, read in and, and, and fully uh, absorb this text. Father in heaven, we ask that you empower us with your Holy Spirit that we might hold a conviction of the truth of the gospel deep within our souls such that necessity is impressed upon us, that we might say, woe to us if we do not claim the saving truth in Jesus' death for sin and in his resurrection for justification. Father, we ask that, that as ambassadors for Christ, we would declare the gospel with boldness, with blunt, confident assurance, we would speak the truth clearly and without ambiguity, and that we would trust that all of those to whom you have appointed to life will be saved. In the powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Looking at our text, let's look at verses 13 and 14 more closely. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Driven by the Sadducees, these people who were known to wield political influence within the temple, the administrative leaders and the class of temple uh, legislators, they perceived Peter and John to be common men with an uncommon boldness. They see them to be common men, which in their uh, perception is that those who were not versed and trained in the law, those who did not have the temple traditions, they would have been considered common. 
And yet, Peter and John, they speak clearly, they speak bluntly, they speak with, speak with confident assurance, and they, they speak with this assurance that the words that they are saying are pleasing to God. But in the, the, the administrative leaders, in the, in the temple class of, of legislators and in the Sadducees, they would think that, that only those who were like them could speak boldly concerning the things of God because they, after all, had the proper training. They were of the right social class. They were of the right political uh, affiliation. So notice with me that they say, and they recognized that they had been that they had been with Jesus. This is not like this. All of a sudden, they've come to an awareness awareness that these two have followed Jesus. They know that about Peter and John. It's not that they just the Jewish leaders suddenly realize Peter and John are those who have followed Jesus for three and a half years. We've discovered this new fact. They knew this fact from the outset. What astonished them was this, was the boldness, the blunt confidence assurance that was spoken clearly and without ambiguity of Peter and John. It was the same blunt, confident assurance clearly spoken by Jesus. They recognized their behavior was just like Jesus. They speak like him. They speak with the same confident, bold assurance as Jesus. We thought we got rid of that guy. Now here they are, they're acting just like he did. They speak like he did with the same sort of confidence, the same bluntness. The confident words of Jesus were that he was doing the will of the Father and the work of the Father, right? And he always, Jesus said that often in contrast to the leadership of the Jews and their adherence to traditions and their understanding of the law. Jesus would uh, confidently speak I, that he was doing the will and the work of the Father as opposed to what you're doing, right? As opposed to your understanding of the law. So these men were like Jesus in their boldness. And this is what they recognized. Later on in the chapter, we see that the apostles pray for this continued kind of boldness. In chapter 4, verse 29 and 31, it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The ministry of the Holy Spirit through the apostles' speech was characterized by boldness. In Acts 9, 27 and 28, it says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them on the road how he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. Acts 13, verse 46 and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Acts 14.3, So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. 
1826, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Acts 19.8, and he entered the synagogue for three months and spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. See, further, this boldness was a mark of their testimony amidst uh, uh, opposition and every time there was affliction. In Acts 26, we see charges brought by the Jews against Paul. But Paul chooses to make his appeal to Rome as a Roman citizen. This dispute in this case was, was that Paul proclaimed Jesus was risen from the dead. He testifies to King Agrippa that the Christ must suffer and that being uh, risen, the risen Christ would come and proclaim light to the Jew and to the Gentile alike. And Festus responds, is this. Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this has not been done in a corner. The testimony of the Holy Spirit in Paul continues through affliction in his ministry to the, to the Ephesians and to the church at Thessalonica. In Ephesians 6.20, he says, For I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 1 Thessalonians 2.2, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel in the midst of much affliction. Recognizing that Peter and John speak the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the same boldness that Jesus spoke of the will and the work of God as opposed to their temple traditions, they are astonished that such common men have such an uncommon boldness. And they know this, something must be done. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. They could not argue with the transforming work that was done in that man that had been born lame. It has long been erroneously attributed to uh, St. Francis Assisi that we are to preach the gospel always and if necessary, use words. And many today will quote that as an excuse, as an excuse to not evangelize their co-workers their family members, their neighbors, or their classmates. They argue that the testimony of Jesus Christ will be my life. As with many things in the Christian life, it's not an either or, it's a both and. Emboldened by the Holy Spirit, Peter and John speak out loud with their voices the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They can't argue with the transformed life standing next to them but they nonetheless speak with boldness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. With their voices, they pronounce salvation by faith in no one other than Jesus Christ. It's not a question of either or, it's both and. And the proof of the truth is the transformed life of a man lame from birth. In our testimony of Jesus Christ, we do well to do both in our evangelism. But we should begin, I believe, with a proclamation of the truth about God. 
The truth about the sin that separates mankind from God. The truth about the atoning death of Christ through His perfect obedience. The truth that this Jesus is risen from the dead. That God declares Him both Lord and Master. The truth that by grace there is forgiveness for sin. The truth that by grace through faith you must repent. And then we testify to the truth that we declare by sharing what great grace we have received, received in God in our own lives. How that truth has transformed us personally. We must use words. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God or in the ESV says by the words of Christ, and I think you put those two things together and you get at it, is that faith comes by hearing and by hearing by the word of God, which testifies to Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. We must live that truth out faithfully such that a changed life leaves no room for opposition. Who can argue with a life well lived? That was a statement made by one of our former presidents, Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton is about to give a speech to introduce Mother Teresa. And Mother Teresa says, your nation will never be healed until it stops killing its babies. What could the proponent of killing babies like Bill Clinton and, and his ilk say in that moment? How could he rebut that? Who could argue with a life well lived? He had no nothing to come back with. Who can argue with the wisdom of God? Who can argue with the wisdom of God through the Holy Spirit given word? Who can argue with the gospel proclaimed through his chosen vessel, the born again believer? Jesus said, words are necessary. Luke 12, 12, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Luke 21, 14 and 15 say, settle it in your minds not to meditate before how to answer, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. This boldness of Peter and John is a gift of God. And that they are men transformed by the very words that they are proclaiming. They themselves have received those words. Not just words that they mentally ascended to. Those are words that actually cut through the bone and the marrow and down to the very soul of that human being. When a human being has been cut down to the soul and has received the truth of the gospel in the way that they did, the power of the Holy Spirit emboldens them to speak bluntly, truthfully, without ambiguity, that there is no other name by which a person may be saved except by the name of Jesus Christ. They had nothing to say to them in opposition, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. 
The council fears that the bold testimony of the apostles would spread rapidly. These men may gain so much ground that it would have grave consequences for the temple administrators, for the alluring class, and for the political clout of the Sadducees. This bold testimony would spread rapidly. Their answer is, we must shut them up before people follow them and this subversive cult takes hold. This sounds much like the council's response to Jesus himself from John chapter 11, 47 and 48. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. In their deliberation, the council concludes, we cannot argue against this transformation of the lame man, but let us warn them to speak no more to anyone of this Jesus being raised from the dead. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The official order from the council is this. The gospel is against the rules. That's what they're saying. The gospel is against the rules. It's against the rules of the temple leadership. They're saying the gospel is not politically correct. The gospel is subversive to the order of life as we see it. So now shut up about Jesus raised from the dead. You know, there's nobody telling us to shut up. Not really. There's nobody out there right now telling you to shut up about the gospel. They're telling you in subtle ways that, yes, this is politically incorrect. This isn't uh, right. That this is against the rules. But there's nobody telling you to shut up. And why? Is nobody telling us, the church, to shut up about the gospel? I think it's because we shut ourselves up. We've already shut our mouths. We've gone along to get along. Perception is enough to shut us up. We perceive you won't like us, so we just shut up. Nobody is shutting us up. We need a spirit-empowered boldness like these guys had. And like these guys prayed for. Blunt, confident assurance. That's boldness. Are you confidently assured of the salvation of Jesus Christ in your own life? Yes. You are sure, right? There's no doubt in any fiber of your being that that is true. Then why are we silent? Why are we silent? We need to pray for this kind of boldness. That this blunt, confident assurance goes from just somewhere that we hang on to it to blasting out of our mouths to the world because they need to hear it. They need to hear this truth. And the gospel, you see, is, is subversive to the order of life as people want to see it. They haven't told us to shut up yet, so let us keep proclaiming Jesus Christ raised from the dead. In Peter and John's answer, we'll see that this parahesia, the, the boldness of speech concerning the risen Christ, this blunt, confident assurance spoken plainly, is a gift. 
That is a gift of God to them. It is the truth that has been apprehended. There's a huge difference between a truth ascended to in your mind and a truth apprehended. These guys apprehended the truth. It's theirs. As if you said, I own this truth. It is mine. It is mine now, but it was given to me by God's grace and by the power of the Spirit. This gift was given to me. We apprehended it by faith in the words of Christ as well as the personal testimony of what we have seen and what we have heard. In other words, you see, this boldness is born of the Holy Spirit. It is born of a personal conviction deep within the soul that it is true. And it's more than truth ascended to mentally. It is truth apprehended. It is truth that is owned by us. And as such, when they tell them, they charge them, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus Peter and John answer them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. See, do you and I fear the talking heads who say that the gospel is irrelevant? Do you shrink away from proclaiming the gospel because you thought you might be thought of as a fool or that you might be thought politically uh, incorrect? Have you apprehended the gospel like Peter and John? We cannot speak of what we know. We cannot speak, of, but speak of who we know. Peter and John apprehended the gospel much like Jeremiah apprehended the truth of God's word. Jeremiah 29, 9, one of my very favorite passages in all the scripture. If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. That's the kind of boldness that Peter and John have, having apprehended that truth. You tell me to shut up, I can't. Even if you tell me to, 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 to be silent, even in threat of prison, I cannot. Although I might try. For my own safety or my own comfort, I might try. Within my heart, this burns. And I can't help but preach the truth about Jesus. To have apprehended the truth of the gospel of Jesus means that you've been given a new spirit. One in which the fear of displeasing God is far superior to your fear of displeasing those in the world. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power. Those who have apprehended the truth of Jesus Christ have received the word, and it has cut through their bone and marrow, and it is deep within the soul. A necessity has been laid upon them. Having apprehended the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it has necessity has been laid upon them to speak bluntly, with confident assurance, without ambiguity, that there is no room in any of that which we proclaim for boasting in ourselves. As 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. We should look next at the contrast between the boldness of Peter and John, who desire to please God rather than man, that's their response, and the councils who desire us to preserve their position, that they might boast in themselves, 
Therefore, they reject Jesus Christ. They reject the testimony of the apostles. And they fear people rather than God. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For they were all praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. I ask us this this morning, and this is what I hope that we would leave with. Do you want to please God? Preach the gospel. Do you want to obey God rather than man? Go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded of you. Do you want to pray for something the Lord would surely be pleased to give you? Pray for boldness. Pray for the Spirit of God to give you blunt, confident assurance as to the truth of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection for you. Pray for the Lord to use you as His instrument to bring salvation to those He has appointed to eternal life. Preach the whosoever gospel. As I said last week, it is whosoever God has appointed to life, whoever they might be, it is God who will save them. And He has guaranteed that those to whom He is called, they will be saved. And I think we should also humbly say this, God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I am not. God knows who he has appointed to life, and I do not. So my assumption is that everyone must hear the gospel. Everyone. Because the whosoever is in that group. If we preach the gospel to everyone, we know we're going to hit them. Because they're in that group. They're in the group of everyone. So we preach the gospel to everyone, and we trust God to do the saving work. And I would say this. Also, to conclude, preach the gospel. And friends, always use words. Always use words. Words are powerful. Words are very powerful. In the beginning, God said. That's power. God said, let there be light. And light flew out of his mouth at 186,000 miles per second. Boom! Light. There is power in words. There's power in the word. And we must proclaim the gospel and we must use our words.